This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Take care of your property with equipment you can count on, like the Kubota BX and L01 Series compact tractors, part of our under 100 horsepower tractor lineup, rated number one for reliability, and Z-Series mowers and sidekick utility vehicles, where durability meets speed. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. Go to KubotaUSA.com for full disclaimer. Visit GoKubota.com for a dealer near you. Listen to the West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello, West Ham fans, and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, and XWHU employee. Last week we posted some classic clips of interviews we've done and you seem to enjoy them. So this week we're giving you more of the same before getting news from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. Last week, we gave you some classic clips from interviews we've done, and you seem to enjoy them. So we thought that we'd give you some more, starting with Trevor Morley and the incredible story of being stabbed by his wife. Yeah, I mean, it's happened because she's a bit of a psycho. <laughs> uh, I got the wrong one there, to be fair. But um, we'd about, we'd out, I think Tony Gale had a do. I mean, Bish was out drinking. Of course, Bish is involved. <laughs> we went to back to Bish's house <laughs> and uh, had a few more drinks. And anyway... She went home before me and I drove home. I oh, not drove home, but I got home somehow and um, an argument uh, came up and uh, both been drinking. And uh, I, I used to keep a knife, I don't know why, in my bedside drawer. I don't know why, but, you know. And uh, I remember she threw this little drawer at me and the knife came out and suddenly she's like got the knife in the hand and I'm just in my little boxer shorts and she's come, up with a, with, come, up, come, out, come at me with a knife and... I was like, you know, and it's not easy when to stop it, you know. And I think the first one went into my arm, and the second time it went into the side of me, and sort of into, yeah, it went deep into me, you know. And and the blood got started 
splurting out. And all I, I thought, shit, I'm going to die. And I ran to my neighbour, he's a Croatian guy, a lovely guy. It was like 2.30 in the morning. I rang his doorbell and he came down in his pyjamas. He's like, Trevor, he was laughing, what's going on? I went, I've been stabbed. And that's the last I remember. I think I collapsed on his doorstep. And um, I, I can't even remember. I think maybe in the ambulance briefly, I remember something. The next thing I woke up in the morning and opened my eyes and there's Billy and everyone from West Ham. And I've got like, tubes in and out everywhere. And they've uh, opened up my stomach. They've split me open, really. They've gone in there because it was very near my liver, the knife. And um, I thought, oh, shit, this is not good. Um yeah. And Bish tells a story when, because uh, I used to pick Bish up in the morning because he was uh, he'd lost his driving license, of course, <laughs> for, uh, drink driving. And um, I used to take him to training. And, and that that morning, we both been drinking. Of course, I didn't I didn't pick him up, and uh, so he got late to training. And uh, he said when he got there, Bill was waiting for him. He said, uh, "Did we good night last night?" He, yeah, it was all right, Bill. Why? When Trevor's in hospital. He said, "What?" He's been stabbed, and um, Bish said, oh, I'm going to see him. He said, no, 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 you're not. You're going to train first. So, um, And then Bish and Frank came straight after training, and uh, that was quite funny. They came in to see me, and, uh, yeah, I was not in good good shape, I guess, but uh, I was alive. So, And uh, and this doctor walked in. It's funny, a guy with a white coat, and uh, he started asking me some couple of questions. I thought, these are strange questions. And it was um, it was a reporter. He put a doctor's coat on. Well, oh, fucking hell. Oh, <laughs> fucking typical journal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I knew the f- funny thing was that during that same night, Bish had a bit of an argument with his wife and uh, she'd bit his finger and uh, he'd got a big cut in his finger. And I remember that Frank and Bish had come to visit me and Bish kept moaning about his finger. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I, you know this cord you can you this cord that's side you if it's an emergency you can pull this cord and, and so suddenly I pulled this cord and the nurses come run, running in I went can you have a look look at this finger frame for God's sake because <laughs> 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 and Frank and Bish, I was I was dying or something and I pulled this pulled this cord and I, uh, I, uh, look at his finger he keeps moaning about his frigging finger <laughs> <laughs> so did she get put away for that trip she must have done no, surely how I don't know. You know, I look back and I was embarrassed by it, so I didn't know how to act. And um, I don't know. I had kids with us, so I just... I don't know. If that been if that happened now or happened here, she would have gone in prison, but somehow she slipped under. And, um, yeah, she slipped under and, you know. But, uh, and then the took... I don't know how the gay rumours come on. And me and Bish have spoke about this many times. It, I've got two versions. One version is to justify what she did. She probably could have told people that she caught me in bed with a, I thought another one woman. Uh, and the other theory is that there's one ex. I'm not going to name this. I would not name this player. There's another player that I don't think really liked Bish that used to play at West Ham and uh, went to a different club. And when he was in that dressing room or in the changing room, drain strip, when he was with his colleagues, maybe he got asked the question, what, what happened with that Trevor Morley getting stabbed? And he might have said, well, probably caught in, probably having sex with Bish. As a, as a joke, I don't know. We'll never find out. But the reality is, my lawyer said to me, because I had the 
the newspapers when I, I was in hospital for a while. When I got back home, they were camped outside, you know, and ringing the doorbell, ringing the doorbell. And my lawyer said to me, Trevor, whatever you do, don't make a comment. Just say no comment. So they'll come in there. I didn't answer the door, but occasionally I, I don't answer the door. I said, okay, it's a Sunday, whatever, newspaper. Mm -hmm. We're going to do, do a story this week. Uh, we've heard your wife caught you in bed with another woman. I was no comment, no comment. And this went on for a few weeks. And eventually, one day they came and said, we heard your wife caught you in bed with another man. I'm like, no comment. And I wanted to, I wanted to punch him, you know, but I'm thinking I'll take my lawyer's advice because once you make a comment, they can put it in the paper. You know, if you say, you know, whatever, if you make any comment, they can put, make a story. Anyway, cut it short, this never went in the newspaper. Never, nothing was printed or anything. And then suddenly this rumour spread around. I mean, literally within two days of me hearing this story about, you know, people saying, oh, you and Bish was caught in bed together. My sister rang me from Nottingham. And, you know, Nottingham, I'm Nottingham boys, it's like two hours drive. So by word of mouth, this has gone around the country. Because, you know, it's one of those things you tell, you know, you hear the story, you tell your mate, he tells a mate, it's like a pyramid thing. So, and then suddenly, you know, we came in and the, the guys were like, uh, in the dressing room, we were like, and you know, they knew we weren't gay, of course, but they found it funny. And then, um, I mean, Bill, to be fair, took me and Bish in the office and went, is it true? And we were <laughs> Bill, Bill. He went, well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, and the thing is, you can't prove you're not gay, can you? So, um, it was hard. It was hard because I'd walk in the street. I feel like people look at me, me and Bish go in the pub. You get, you know, you want to fight everybody. And, um, of course, I was on my own at the time. So I went to live with Bish um, and his wife at Chigwell for a while. And uh, it was quite funny because I've told this story before. We, there was one day, I think it was just, we got a game on the Monday or something, but it was a Sunday or Saturday. Well, I can't remember the day, but, but um, Jane used to go around and make a cup of tea and bring us the newspapers. And I got in bed with Bish in, in where his wife had just got out. She went out and made a cup of tea, reading the newspapers. And the, the frigging window cleaner came up at the window. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, sure luck. And then there's me and Bish, like, do you know what I mean? Sitting there in a double bed, reading newspapers with, with a cup of tea. I'm thinking, oh, fuck, this doesn't look good. <laughs> Frank McAvenny and Julian Dix never enjoyed pre-season running, and one year they found a way around it. Well, they, they put coaches at every, every corner. <laughs> You know, they put the coaches every corner and you've got to run around. There's a six-mile run, which is down to Romford and round. Or there's a four-mile run, which is the first turn in, I think it is. I'm not sure. I don't know how. Anyway, is it London Road? I think that's what you call it. Oh. So you come out yeah. Savile Road and you turn right. Anyway, meet at the back. And, and the guy, Bonzo's with us. And go, come on, lads. And all the, boy, all, the, all the ones that can't play football at the front running. You know, the ones that are no very good with a ball. <laughs> they're, all, they're all split. <laughs> <laughs> so so they're out at the front and, and by the time we got to the top of Savile Road Polly says I can't run this pace <laughs> so, so me and Dick are like on you go then Gav on you go so he ran away and we're running down wrong for me and him are having a laugh and of course people pump the horn and all that and, and then this milk float came by and he's coming towards us 
Shit, boy, hello, lads, how are you doing? So I've stopped him and I said, give us a lift. He went, yeah, he thought I wanted to go that way. I said, no, you've got to turn round. You've got to turn and go that way. So I used to be a milk boy. So what I did, we, we moved the crates. It was all empties anyway. It was going, it was just going back to the depot. So we moved the crates and created a couple of spaces in the middle of these milk crates. <laughs> me and Dixie, because it's a big open, it's a big glass cabin, isn't it, in the milk floats? So me and Dixie are in the middle of these milk crates. And we went by Ronnie Boyce, Paul Hilton, I think, was the other one, and, and uh, Tony Carr, I think it was. So we've been by them. Now, you go up to the road, you run round the road and come back down Savile Road, but there's a little lane that goes down the back, and, and then we thought, we'll go down there, because the gaffer road, he'll know that we're going to cheat anyway. So he says, he'll let us off with that one. So we had to wait, Martin Allen and all these, come, all these boys come running up to go by us before we could run down. So we let about seven or eight pass. They ran round Savile Road, give them a couple of minutes to get down Savile Road and, and get in. And then me and Dixie ran down. <laughs> the guys got water, we're spraying water over us, all that kind of stuff. And we've run down this lane while the gaffer was over the moon. Oh, brilliant. I know you've had that in these lads. Well done, go to for sure. We went and had a shower and pissed off. And uh, apparently, he was waiting and the coaches coming in. So he phoned, <laughs> phoned boys saying, hold up, where are they phones? Where are, where are you? He says, oh, we're waiting. And uh, Macca and Dixie, oh, they're in here, they're sure. They never passed us. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was another fine. This is when we asked Lou Macari if he had any regrets from his time at West Ham. No, no, because I was well aware that uh, when you leave somewhere like West Ham, there's a million stories. There's a million stories, whatever stories that come out. Um, no, I know that I look back on the players that I brought in. And they did well for West Ham. The fact that I brought them in, they did well for me, even though I wasn't there that long with them. Um, is West Ham in a bit better position it was uh, than when I was there? Well, of course it is, because now things are dropping into place for them. Things are happening. A combination of the people on the board and the manager and the manager staff. Um so when I see a place on the up that I've been associated with, I'm delighted. And uh, to regret anything is is wrong because uh, life's too short to be regretting things. Because you've got a million a million regrets in your life, haven't you? Never mind a football club. You've got lots of other things you can look back on and say, only this and only that. No, West Ham happened that quick for me. Um, there was there was. There was nothing I could have. Uh, there's nothing I could have done to to possibly make things better. So you have things in your life that are, are sad and you wish hadn't happened, and I don't need to go over the things in my life that uh, I wish hadn't happened, but they did. And there's other great things that um, that um, that have happened at, at the football clubs you've been at that you've got for the rest of your life. And then no matter what else has happened, you, you've you've got them moments and memories to cherish. And West Ham was a good moment. West Ham was a good moment for me. I wouldn't bullshit
I'd have said to you when you asked that question, I'd have said, well, I regretted going there because I didn't like so-and-so and I didn't like him and the chairman, he was this and the chair. No, West Ham, it was brilliant. Here's Craig Forrest on Paolo Di Canio. Well, we knew we had talent uh, when we brought him in. Remember, he, he there wasn't a lot of clubs were wanting Paolo. They wanted his talent, but they didn't want all the baggage. Mm. And that was a problem for some clubs. So I think we got him for a million. Is that about right? I think it was yeah. about a million yeah, pounds. About that, yeah, Something like that. And I remember the very first training session, he came in and some of the stuff he was doing on the ball – was magical and he had this one particular goal and I remember Frank Lampard senior was standing on the other side of the field and very first training session for Paolo and uh he's done this amazing bit of skill and he's yelled over to Frank he's like Frank we've got ourselves a fucking bargain (laughs) 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 and did they ever have themselves a bargain Uh, yeah you know like just a great you know what a character what a character like just you just never knew what you're gonna get from paolo i mean he did have some mood swings as well Mm. um and then it'd be stuff like traveling we're on a plane sitting at (laughs) luton airport or stanisette i can't remember which one flying up north and I'm sitting up near the front. I think Harry's a couple rows in front of me. And then the stewardess is uh, sitting there, the hostess. And she says, excuse me, sir. Just We're sitting on the tarmac, ready to take off. Just ready. Got the clearance. And you hear this, excuse me, sir. You have to sit down. And I look behind me. And here comes Paolo right up the middle going, no, no, let me off. Let me off. I've had a dream. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this before. Yeah. yeah. Tell it it in your own words. Tell it in your own words. Harry turns around, he looks back, and he's like, Paolo, (laughs) what's fucking wrong with you? So, anyway, he's like, No, no, Harry, Harry, I I want off. And he's like, And then they're they're saying, Listen, he's either got to sit down or we've got, like, we can't take off. He wouldn't sit down. We, We ended up taxiing back to the gate and letting Paolo off. And then there was a board of directors member i had to get off with him i can't remember who it was and had to drive paolo way up north i freaking manchester or something and all because paolo had a dream that the plane was going to go down so (laughs) it was crazy as he was when we did eventually take off you're kind of wondering yeah yeah he's fucking crazy but (laughs) i hope he's not right (laughs) well i don't know what that says i don't know what it says about his teammates the fact he had this premonition and didn't try and get you boys off with him (laughs) yeah that's right he never said no you gotta get off with me (laughs) this is when we asked jack collison about tragically losing his dad but choosing to play against Millwall just days later. Yeah, I mean, I've spoke about this so often. It was obviously to lose my dad so young was obviously heartbreaking. And the fact that he was on his way up to watch us play Spurs and I know how excited he was for that one. And then obviously the Millwall game three days later, he had spoke really openly about how he was really excited for that one as well. And I think for me, kind of... It didn't really sink in for a long time afterwards, and do you know what I mean? But once it had happened, and I made the decision to play, and I hadn't really trained. I don't think I trained at all, but I spoke to the manager and said, "Look, I really want to play. I want to sort of honour my dad, get out there, and and sort of do what what I what I want to do, and what I've I've always been doing, um, and what he would have wanted me to do." So made the decision, and I'd obviously been at home with my family for the days before, and. 
met up with the team uh, on the bus and I just remember walking onto the bus and I just wanted to cry. It was just everyone sort of looking at you, no one really knowing what to say. Uh, everyone's sort of saying, I don't know whether to say sorry or come on or do you know what I mean? Everyone's just sort of giving you that look. So I remember I, re- I wanted to burst into tears, but I sort of got through that and, and got out and got the warm up done and similar again when as we're walking out to play it was just really emotional and I just remember taking time to sort of look around and um, it was quite common news at the time and sort of the game got going and uh, right throughout that game the, the fans were just incredible and obviously the game I remember going 1-0 down and thinking oh shit we can... <laughs> I can't play three days later and it go like this and then I, I hit the post early in the second half and Thankfully for Junior Stanislas stepped up, scored the equaliser and then um, obviously we got the penalty in extra time and I'm not one of many regrets but Junior offered me the chance to take the pen and I shit myself. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of my regrets, not sort of stepping up to take it. But I knew he would score and then to top it off I remember Zab scoring the third and obviously Zab's someone who I'd shared digs with and sort of grown really close to over the years I'd lived with him for the past sort of three four years and I just remember him saying sort of like that's for you and it was just a real sort of touching emotional moment and obviously after the game we had all the trouble with the fans beforehand and and people coming on the pitch and and things like that and for me I just wanted to sort of go around and thank the fans because just their support everywhere you looked people willing me to do well sort of cheering you on do you know what I mean they, they carried me through that night and it's quite a special thing to do. A young lad out there who's just been through that and you look around, there's 30,000 people sort of willing you to do well and, and wanting you to do well and kind of get through it. And obviously the following days, a lot of the bad press in the papers about the fans and things like that. And I just thought, do you know what? It's, it's such a shame that it had to be like that because it really the, the headlines could have been about a, a club uh, do you know what I mean? The supporters, the staff, the players all coming together to sort of help one of their own through the most difficult time in his life. And obviously afterwards, I, I spoke quite openly what it meant to me. And I think that was a, the sort of real start of a, a special bond between me and the West Ham fans. Here's Nigel Winterburn on how he came to join West Ham and how he felt about leaving Arsenal. Well, uh, I, I'd always planned that I was going to retire at Arsenal, but mm. I'm a competitive person. And uh, I knew I spoke to Arsene Wenger in the last six months of the season before, you know, I left in 2000. And he told me things were going to start changing a little bit. He wanted to start mixing up the back four. Um, and actually, they, they still wanted me to, you know, to, to see out this. To, to, well, I was. I was signed for the, that year anyway, but... They wanted me to, to sort of be part of the squad, see out the season, uh, and then just take it, see how see how I felt at the end of it. But um, it was really difficult because I've been very lucky because most of the clubs I've played at, I've played a lot of games. Mm. Uh, and then all of a sudden playing once every five weeks, I felt that, well, I found that very, very hard to, to deal with, one, mentally, and two, I felt that my level of performance had dropped. Uh, and no matter how hard I trained, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't keep that level going. Uh, and add to the, you know, the disappointment if it was a Saturday game, Arsene Wenger always named the team on the Friday. And when you weren't in the team, the disappointment for me was just, was just too much. So 
I had a chat with Arsene Wenger, I think about three months, not even that, maybe two, three, yeah, two or three months before the season was finished and just said, look, you know, I, you know, I, I plan to retire here, but I just can't, you know, I just can't, uh, I can't, you know, I, I just feel I've got a bit left to give um, and I feel my level of performance is dropping. So I'd like to leave at, at the end of the season. And um, they offered me a new contract. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, uh, well, no, not really. That's not what I, I want to do. I'd already spoke to, uh, or I hadn't spoke to Harry Redknapp, but somebody I knew had spoke to Harry Redknapp. So I knew West Ham uh, were definitely interested. But the, the deal would, would have been if it, I was a free transfer, which I'd been told by Arsene Wenger I was a free transfer. So anyway, we, we, we sort of let... I left it with sort of West Ham that they would, you know, we would look at it once the season would, were, uh, was finished. And then David Dean called me into a meeting with Arsene Wenger at the end of the season and said, well, we want to offer you uh, a new contract. Arsene doesn't want you to uh, leave. You're still an important part of the squad. And I just thought, well, we just had the conversation two months ago that, as far as I'm concerned, I was um, leaving. So, anyway, Arsenal offered me unbelievably. I've never. <laughs> I keep thinking back and thinking now. Did you think about that uh, right? Because <laughs> they offered me the biggest contract I'd ever been offered. Really? <laughs> like, wow. Um, well, no, I don't really want that. So I told David Dean I didn't want it. I was like, no, I. I've spoken to Arsenal. I don't want your money, sort of thing. And <laughs> he just looked at me, gone out. And then, um, so we just, Arsene Vega looked at me and said, you know, he's, Nigel's made his decision, you know, that's fine. So anyway, I thought I was joining West, so I knew the West Ham thing was was there. So I just assumed I was joining West Ham. And then all of a sudden, David Dean said, oh, and by the way, we want 500 grand for you. I was like, well, I was five minutes ago, I was a free transfer. <laughs> I've turned the contract down and now I'm 500 grand. So anyway, that was uh, that was a bit of a stumbling block. But I think, in the end, I just, Arsene Wenger, Arsene Wenger was brilliant. He just said, leave it with me. I will sort everything out. You know, if you are adamant that you, you want to leave, and I can tell by uh, the way that you're reacting that, um, I know you want to leave, you know, and he knew I was finding it difficult. Um, and then, yeah, so in the end, uh, you guys just told me it cost 250 grand. So, <laughs> but no, I did, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, the, it was 250 grand, but I thought the deal would be dead because Harry had said, you know, you're 36, we'd love to take you on a free transfer, but I'm not sure how the chairman's going to react if they want some money for you. But, uh, you know, he, they they took a. Uh, to be fair, you know, Harry took a chance with me, um, um, and yeah, and the fee was two hundred fifty grand. So that's really how it all happened. Well, mm. out, out of interest, did the, did West Ham match the contract that Arsenal had offered you? Uh, no. So it was less to join. Yeah, West it was Ham? less. Yeah. Oh wow! I already knew what I was getting at West Ham. Yeah. Oh, okay. Already that, been, that had already been sorted, um, and I didn't go back to them for. Uh, anymore because uh, for me at that stage of my career 
I just wanted to have the opportunity to to you know to to, to play first team football or be given that chance. So mm. it, it, you never, even at my age and with the trophies I've won, I still felt that I had a lot to prove to you know the players that were at West Ham and also the supporters. So if there was someone there better than me, I knew I wasn't you know I probably wouldn't play. Uh, and that was all the challenge that I, I really needed, to be to be quite honest with you. This is what happens when you don't have a training kit ready for John Moncur or you leave him in the bath unattended. Uh, well, I did warn uh, Eddie, his name, Eddie. He was, the, he was the kit man. And basically what I used to do, I used to come in a bit, time it a little bit late, if you like, because I only lived 20 minutes away. But what when the foreign players come in, they started, obviously, gloves and hats, that was all happening. And uh, we only had a certain amount of kit, really, especially when it was sort of freezing, tracksuits. So the lads would put two or three tops on, some of the French boys in particular. So I said to Eddie, I said, look, if I ain't got a top, I said, I've been here seven years now. I said, if I ain't got a top, apart from Potsy, I'm the longest serving player. I said, so I need a nap, I need a top, I need a pair of gloves. So, <laughs> you know, what? It, it, it's basically just, it's gone, isn't it? So I come in... A little bit late, I, there was a pair of shorts and a T-shirt. So I thought, right, I've got to make a stand here. So the, the old snow was coming, like, it was like sleeting. So it was very cold. So I thought, right, what I'll do, I'll let the lads go out and I'll appear. So the boys used to sort of mingle outside Harry's office, waiting for the warm-up guy to come out. And Harry was in his office, actually. So I come flying out there, start bollock naked. And uh, done a cleansman. You know when you used to... Go on a yeah. aquaplane across the, uh, the biggest puddle and uh, jumped up and going, right, come on, boys, I'll take the warm-up today. <laughs> so you imagine they're all falling about laughing. But what I didn't realise, apparently that afternoon or sort of 12 o'clock, his sky cameras were down. <laughs> <laughs> Harry's seen me fly by and nothing on. He's come flying out, got me in the office. And I like, imagine he's gone to me. Listen. I know you're mad and I love a joke, but you're taking the piss now. He said, we've got the cameras. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, I told Eddie, H, I said, if you ain't the top for me and an hat, I said, this is going to happen every flipping time. So he went, right, get him in here. So he got Eddie and he went, make sure he's got some kit. Eddie goes, you have to hide it, he said. <laughs> so it ended up working. Oh, oh brilliant! Man, that's so funny. I mean, there are so many stories because, as you know, John, you've actually done a couple of of our pre-match events. Um, the first one was at the East End Working Man's Club that was hosted by Walden. It still is, but this time it's uh, um, O'Neill's in Leytonstone. And yeah. your name comes up a lot with players from your era. So there's a lot of stories that um, involves you. Yeah. And one of them, and I've got to prompt you to tell it, involves a bath and Frank Lampard Senior. Well, I think Lomi's told that story, isn't he? I think that, he did. Is that right? He did. He did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, from what I remember, we was we was at uh, I think it was QPR in the FA Cup. So for some reason, I don't know why, he used to get uh, a few of the lads used to do the bath for your ankles, but like warm them up so Frank obviously put some bubble bath and he said I'm going to have a nice you know because it's quite cold I'm going to have a nice uh, warm up before we go so we're all laughing so I've dropped a big turd in there haven't I <laughs> 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 so 
he's gone, he's sitting there, all well looking, waiting. And as the bubble started to sort of die out a little bit, it was like a submarine come up. <laughs> <laughs> I think he hit the roof. He jumped out of that bath so quick. Finally, John Hartson talks to us about that infamous incident with Eil Berkovich. It was a mobile phone and somebody was actually recording the session and then um, it went quiet for a few days. Nothing was said, nothing was known. And then all of a sudden it appears on News at 10 because somebody has gone and sold the footage. Gosh, News um, at 10, blimey, didn't realise it got that big? Yeah, to a national mm. newspaper wow. and everything. And, and news is news, lads. You know, news is mm. newspapers, it's radio, it's television, it's podcasts, it's social media. You know, news is news. When news breaks, it breaks. Yeah. It goes across all the channels, um, all over the world. And I can remember being front page of every national newspaper, you know, certainly in the country. Um, but listen, as I said, you know, I regretted it. And me and I have met up since. And I met him uh, a few years ago when Wales played Israel over in Tel Aviv. We had a bit of lunch together. The cameras made sure they were there. I don't know who set that meeting up, by the way, but they, had, they ended up <laughs> appearing there. Um, but no, as I said, it was, it was something, aggression again, that you manage to, to curb um, as you get older. You know, these things you can control a little bit when you get a bit wiser. But, um, you know, it was one of those things that um, I, I deeply regretted because I always felt that when you go through your career then, and yeah, I like John, you know, he's, he's a good centre forward, he scores goals. People say, you know, nice things about him off the pitch. He's a nice guy, you know, um, talk to anybody, charity, blah, blah, blah. But did you see that incident? You know, people go back to it and it's just something that, you know, certain things, you look at Roy Keane and when Roy uh, walked out um, of the national team um, when he was involved with a spat with Mick McCarthy. Now, Roy Keane was a magnificent footballer, won titles, won caps, um, you know, some unbelievable performances from Man United, just just a world beater on the pitch, really, a, a real tough battler winner. And people still bring up that incident about, you know, they, they like to talk about the the big stories, the, 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 the negative stories, if you like. Yeah. And sometimes I think some people, I'm not saying everybody, but people... Wouldn't, don't want to talk about my 33 goals and 71 appearances, whatever it was for West Ham. It's almost a goal every two, every every sort of two games. Mm. People go, ah, see that instant Alberto Jones a lunatic. He's done that. He's this. He's that. They don't know you, but you know I've given them that opportunity to judge me because yeah. of my stupidity. You know, um, and I just think the world is like that. You know, people like to talk about the bad things, you know, rather than concentrating on, on the positives. Well, you've only got to look at the news. I mean, everything that's reported is negative. Yeah. No, no one wants to report on anything that's positive because I think bad news stories sell. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to, unfortunately. What was the gaffer's reaction to that incident, John? Well, he called me in straight away, Harry. He called me in and he, he knew the. Um, you know, he, he knew it was, it was going to go viral. He, he knew, Harry, um, you know, and um, and what he said to me was, he basically said, look, John, he said, I, I love you to bits. He said, but um, I've got to do something about this. He said, uh, and he find me. He find me on the spot. 
Um, I had to take a check in and find me, and I think it went to a charity, I believe. Um, and also, he came with me and supported me with the FA, and I got fined £20,000 and banned for so many games. And, um, you know, <clears throat> he was as shocked as anybody, really, because he knew, you know, Harry, I'd, I'd really got to know him, and I... I play golf with Harry now every, you know, every once in a while. I bring him up to play my charity day <clears throat> up here in um, at Turnbury. He came up last year, and whenever I bump into him on BT Sport or whatever shows, we reminisce and we get on great. We, we, he's like a father, really. He just talks to me, and he's always nice and you know, a gentleman around me, really. Um, so he was as shocked as anybody. I think he was disappointed in me, really. And I was disappointed in myself. And I think I upset a lot of the fans because from being, you know, you almost go from hero to zero. <clears throat> but I brought that on myself. You know, I had nobody else to blame. You know, I take full responsibility for, for that incident. And um, I still do today. But um, Harry was just shocked. And he said, look, John, I've got to do something. He said, because I can't let this go. You know, anything else... You know, if the lads had gone out and caused a bit of havoc in a pub or something, he could let it go or he could swerve it or something. You know, he could talk to the manager. I don't know. I'm just making up instances. But with this one, it, it was going to go big. Um, so he basically said, I've got to do something. He said, the people above me, the chief executives and the directors and the owners and the chairman and everybody else at West Ham, they would have expected the manager you know, to find me and do the right thing, uh, which was which was absolutely fine. And uh, I got fine. But as I said, it uh, it just tainted our relationship for a bit, mm. um, Harry and I. And hence, that's, that's why he sold me. But he tried to re-sign me at Portsmouth, Harry Redknapp. When I was at um, Celtic, I, he made contact with, with my representatives and he wanted to bring me to Portsmouth at one stage. So he couldn't have been there. You couldn't have been that upset with me. Okay, it's that time again. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.